we can say no to the flesh. This is the LifeSpring One-Year Bible coming to you from Riverside, California and podcasting since 2004. I'm your OG Godcaster, Steve Webb. It's good to see you. This is the daily podcast where we're reading through the entire Bible in a year. Today is Gospel Saturday, and we're going to read Luke 3 and 4. I'm calling this episode Temptation. Later on on the show today, I'll be telling you about a drawing I'm going to be doing this next week, so be sure to listen all the way to the end of the show. Also, remember that tomorrow will be our next time of praise and prayer requests, so if there is something you'd like the LifeSpring family to pray with you about, or if God is doing something really great in your life that would be an encouragement to the rest of the family, be sure to go to prayer.lifespringmedia.com right away and let me know, or call the LifeSpring family hotline at 951-732-8511. Okay, let's get started. Before we read, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Lord, for providing us a way to resist temptation. As we read about it today, may your Holy Spirit embed your truth in our hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's begin. Luke chapter 3 It was now the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor. Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea. Herod Antipas was governor over Galilee. His brother Philip was ruler over Iturea and Trachonitis. Lysanias was ruler over Abilene. Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests. At this time, a message from God came to John, son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled and the mountains and hills made level. The curves will be straightened and the rough places made smooth. And then all the people will see the salvation sent from God. When the crowds came to John for baptism, he said, You brood of snakes, who warned you to flee God's coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, We're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. The crowds asked, What should we do? John replied, If you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, Teacher, what should we do? He replied, Collect no more taxes than the government requires. What should we do? asked some soldiers. John replied, Don't extort money or make false accusations, and be content with your pay. Everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon, and they were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah. John answered their questions by saying, I baptize you with water. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I am not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. 
Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. John used many such warnings as he announced the good news to the people. John also publicly criticized Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, for marrying Herodias, his brother's wife, and for many other wrongs he had done. So Herod put John in prison, adding this sin to his many others. One day, when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. As he was praying, the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit, in bodily form, descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved Son, and you bring me great joy. Jesus was about thirty years old when he began his public ministry. Jesus was known as the son of Joseph. Joseph was the son of Heli. Heli was the son of Mathat. Mathat was the son of Levi. Levi was the son of Melchi. Melchi was the son of Janai. Janai was the son of Joseph. Joseph was the son of Mattathias. Mattathias was the son of Amos. Amos was the son of Nahum. Nahum was the son of Eslai. Eslai was the son of Nagai. Nagai was the son of Maath. Maath was the son of Mattathias. Mattathias was the son of Simeon. Simeon was the son of Josek. Josek was the son of Jodah. Jodah was the son of Joanan. Joanan was the son of Risa. Risa was the son of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the son of Shealtiel. Shealtiel was the son of Neri. Neri was the son of Melchi. Melchi was the son of Adai. Adai was the son of Kosum. Kosum was the son of Elmadam. Elmadam was the son of Ur. Ur was the son of Joshua. Joshua was the son of Eliezer. Eliezer was the son of Joram. Joram was the son of Mathat. Mathat was the son of Levi. Levi was the son of Simeon. Simeon was the son of Judah. Judah was the son of Joseph. Joseph was the son of Jonam. Jonam was the son of Eliakim. Eliakim was the son of Melia. Melia was the son of Mena. Mena was the son of Mattatha. Mattatha was the son of Nathan. Nathan was the son of David. David was the son of Jesse. Jesse was the son of Obed. Obed was the son of Boaz. Boaz was the son of Salmon. Salmon was the son of Noshan. Noshan was the son of Amenadab. Amenadab was the son of Admin. Admin was the son of Arnai. Arnai was the son of Hezron. Hezron was the son of Perez. Perez was the son of Judah. Judah was the son of Jacob. Jacob was the son of Isaac. Isaac was the son of Abraham. Abraham was the son of Terah. Terah was the son of Nahor. Nahor was the son of Sirug. Sirug was the son of Reu. Reu was the son of Peleg. Peleg was the son of Eber. Eber was the son of Shelah. Shelah was the son of Canaan. Canaan was the son of Arphaxad. Arphaxad was the son of Shem. Shem was the son of Noah. Noah was the son of Lamech. Lamech was the son of Methuselah. Methuselah was the son of Enoch. Enoch was the son of Jared. Jared was the son of Mahalalel. Mahalalel was the son of Kenan. Kenan was the son of Enosh. Enosh was the son of Seth. Seth was the son of Adam. Adam was the son of God. Luke chapter 4 Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit when he returned from the Jordan River. Then he was led by the Holy Spirit to a desert. 
He was tempted by the devil for forty days and ate nothing during that time. After that he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to be made into bread. Jesus said to him, It is written, Man is not to live by bread alone. The devil took Jesus up on a high mountain. He had Jesus look at all the nations of the world at one time. The devil said to Jesus, I will give you all this power and greatness. It has been given to me. I can give it to anyone I want to. If you will worship me, all this will be yours. Jesus said to the devil, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You must worship the Lord your God. You must obey him only. Then the devil took Jesus up to Jerusalem. He had Jesus stand on the highest part of the house of God. The devil said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He has told his angels to care for you and to keep you. In their hands they will hold you up. Then your foot will not hit against a stone. Jesus said to the devil, It is written, You must not tempt the Lord your God. When the devil finished tempting Jesus in every way, he went away from Jesus for a while. Jesus went back to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. People talked about him so much that he was well known through all the country. Jesus taught in their places of worship and was honored by all people. Jesus came to Nazareth where he had grown up. As he had done before, he went into the Jewish place of worship on the day of rest. Then he stood up to read. Someone handed him the book of the early preacher Isaiah. He opened it and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He has put his hand on me to preach the good news to poor people. He has sent me to heal those with a sad heart. He has sent me to tell those who are being held that they can go free. He has sent me to make the blind to see and to free those who are held because of trouble. He sent me to tell of the time when men can receive favor from the Lord. Jesus closed the book, then he gave it back to the leader and sat down. All those in the Jewish place of worship kept their eyes on him. Then he began to say to them, The holy writings you have just heard have been completed today. They all spoke well of Jesus and agreed with the words he spoke. They said, Is not this the son of Joseph? He said to them, I wonder if you will tell this old saying to me, Doctor, heal yourself. What you did in the city of Capernaum, do in your own country. He said, A man who speaks for God is not respected in his own country. It is true that there were many women whose husbands had died in the Jewish land when Elijah lived. For three and a half years there was no rain, and there was very little food in the land. Elijah was sent to none of them, but he was sent to a woman in the city of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. This woman's husband had died. There were many people in the Jewish land who had a bad skin disease when the early preacher Elisha lived. None of them was healed, but Naaman from the country of Syria was healed. All those in the Jewish place of worship were angry when they heard these words. They got up and took Jesus out of town to the top of a high hill. They wanted to throw him over the side. But Jesus got away from among them and went on his way. Jesus went down to Capernaum in Galilee. He taught them on the days of rest. The people were surprised and wondered about his teaching. His words had power. A man in the Jewish place of worship had a demon. He cried with a loud voice, What do you want of us, Jesus of Nazareth? 
I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. Jesus spoke sharp words to the demon and said, Do not talk. Come out of him. When the demon had thrown the man down, he came out without hurting the man. The people were all surprised. They asked each other, What kind of word is this? He speaks to the demons with power, and they come out. The news about Jesus went through all the country. Jesus went away from the Jewish place of worship and went into Simon's house. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed, very sick. They asked Jesus to help her. He stood by her and told the disease to leave. It went from her. At once she got up and cared for them. As the sun went down, the people took all that were sick with many kinds of diseases to Jesus. He put his hands on all of them, and they were healed. Also demons came out of many people. The demons cried out and said, You are Christ, the Son of God. Jesus spoke strong words to them and would not let them speak. They knew he was the Christ. In the morning he went out to a desert. The people looked for him. When they found him, they were trying to keep him from going away from them. He said to them, I must preach about the holy nation of God in other cities also. This is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the Jewish places of worship in Galilee. Well, beloved, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus gave us the perfect plan for when we're being tempted. Remember this. Jesus was fully human as well as fully God. Jesus was a real human man. So the temptations that Satan put before him were real. They weren't just theoretical. Jesus had flesh. And notice the very first temptation Satan put in front of Jesus. Jesus had been in the desert for 40 days and had not eaten. He was hungry. The very first temptation was for Jesus to turn the stones into bread. Satan knew that Jesus was a man, so he went after the needs of his flesh. Some people just can't say no to their flesh. And I don't think I need to say that the temptations of the flesh are more than just food, do I? The desires of the flesh are some of our most basic urges. Animals are almost completely controlled by this, but humans have the ability to exert control over these urges. And God's Word is full of exhortations to do just that. And when we're followers of Jesus, when we're believers, when we're Christians, we have the Holy Spirit in us and we can say no to the flesh. Not that it's easy, but we do have the ability. We are not slaves to our flesh. Paul wrote at some length about that in the book of Romans. Well, the next temptation was what some have called the lust of the eyes. I read this more as a lust for power. Satan showed Jesus all the nations of the world at one time, and he said Jesus could have power and glory over them all if he would just worship him. Some people have a ravenous desire for power. We saw that during the pandemic, didn't we? Politicians and bureaucrats around the world took a level of control that no one would have believed possible before COVID hit. They seem to be drunk with power, and they're not going to forget how easy it was to exert that power. But that's a discussion for another time. The third temptation was for Jesus to force God to do a miracle to save him. Another way to say that is Satan tempted Jesus to twist Scripture. Some people crave signs and wonders. They'll follow anyone who claims to have a supernatural power. And some people do twist Scripture for their own gain, don't they? The Antichrist will seem to have supernatural powers too, and many will be fooled. So, these were the temptations. 
What did Jesus do in order to overcome each one? You heard it. He correctly applied and quoted Scripture. Yes, Satan did quote Scripture to Jesus, but he twisted and he misapplied it. Jesus did not twist Scripture, and he correctly applied it. Beloved, that is why it is so important to know and memorize God's Word. If you listen to this podcast every day, and if it's your aim to go with me all the way through the Bible, that's a great start. But unless you have a photographic memory, going through the Bible just once will not be enough. I pray that you'll develop a lifelong habit of reading through the Bible. I have a Bible that my great-grandmother owned. I treasure it. There are notes in there that show that she read the Bible through three times, but I've got to think that this was not her only Bible. I would be shocked if she hadn't read the Bible through many, many more times in her lifetime. Well, she passed away before I was a student of the Bible, so I never had a conversation with her about her relationship with God. I won't know how many times she read through the Bible until I get to see her again in heaven, which I'm looking forward to. She was a sweet lady. As you probably know, this is the 13th season of the LifeSpring One-Year Bible, formerly the LifeSpring Family Audio Bible. And you know what? Even now, I'll read passages that seem completely new to me. I don't have the best memory, so it's really important for me to keep reading. God gave us His Word so that we could learn it so well that it becomes a part of us. Ephesians 6, 10-18 tells us this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Notice, beloved, that all but one of the items spoken of here as the full armor of God are defensive in nature. The belt, the breastplate, the covering for the feet, the shield, and the helmet. The only offensive item, the only weapon spoken of, is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. A warrior's primary method to overcome the enemy is with his weapon. The weapon in this passage from Ephesians is the Word of God. A warrior has to learn how to use this weapon if he wants to be victorious. If he doesn't train with it, not only will he not be able to use it effectively, but the enemy can actually use it against him, as Satan tried to do with Jesus. Beloved, we are in a spiritual battle. More so now, I think, than in any time in my lifetime. Spiritual battles are not fought with physical might. They're primarily fought on our knees, in prayer, wielding, the sword of the Spirit. Beloved, this podcast is one way to prepare you for the fight, and I'm really very honored to be just a small part of that process. Thank you for allowing me into your life in this way. What are your thoughts? Let me know. Call the LifeSpring Family Hotline at plus one nine five one seven three two eighty five eleven, or send me a boostagram. 
You can also comment at comment.lifespringmedia.com or email me at steve at lifespringmedia.com. Tomorrow will be Epistle Sunday, and we'll read 2 Corinthians 11-13. through 13. Remember, too, we'll have a time of praise and prayer requests. We have three associate producers today. Ann Sarmiento came in with $100. Thank you, Ann. Ant Anonymous came in with their weekly $22.22 Roa Ducks donation. Thank you, Anonymous. And Michael Hayner came in with his weekly $7.77 Striper donation. So thank you, Michael. May God bless each of you richly. Very much appreciated. Also, I missed a donation back on January 30th when Roderick came in with $50. Thank you so much, Roderick. I'm sorry I didn't see it when you made the donation. I appreciate you very much, brother. God bless you. And one more, Lester Graber or Grabber. Lester, I'm sorry, I don't know the correct pronunciation. Maybe send me an email, let me know how I should pronounce that. Anyway, Lester came in with $20 this past Monday. Thank you, Lester. God bless you. Well, beloved, value for value. It's a simple concept. If the show brings value to you, if you're blessed by it in some way, if you're thankful for what it brings to your life, then return some of that value to help support it. I'm asking you to pray about it and ask the Lord what He would have you do. And then, to do it, go to this website. LifespringMedia.com support I'll thank you, and I believe that God will bless you. And also, thanks to those of you who stream sats and send boosts and boostograms. And by the way, when you do that, I send a certain percentage of that to the team. I've told Sister Denise, Michael Hayner, Scott Snyder, Jason Pascal, and Brittany that I would put them in the split to receive sats into their lightning wallets. That's where sats go whenever you send sats to the show. So when you send sats to me, you're thanking them for the value they bring to the show with their donations of time and talent. That's fair, right? Value for value. It's a story of finding yourself, finding your way, finding faith. I just think it's going to be so uplifting. There's comedy, there's tenderness, there's complexity with all of the characters. The production value is incredible. It feels like we've just been dropped into a moment in history. Audiences are going to get a strong message of love and hope. I hope people feel tearful and joyful all at the same time, and maybe inspired to rediscover their own faith. It's been seven years to the screen for this movie and every other movie that we've made along the way, Woodlawn, I can only imagine, I still believe, American Underdog, it's all been leading to this. I remember discovering the Jesus Revolution Time Magazine cover story, and it was like unearthing this gem, and that led to this whole exploration. I wanna meet people that live this. Come to find out Greg was a teenager, as was his wife Kathy, at the very origin of the Jesus movement in Southern California. The Jesus movement was an awakening. Not only was it the last great American awakening, I think it may have been the most significant of all. It was this beautiful fusion of Greg's coming of age story, this hippie street preacher, Lonnie Frisbee, and a down and out pastor who's pretty much lost everything. And to see him open up his doors to these hippies, that completely changed everything. I think so many of us that were drawn into the hippie movement really were searching for something more. Greg Laurie, at the time, is colossal. He's looking for truth, and he finds it in all the wrong places and in one right place. 
Have you decided? Uh, um, I, I don't know. You want to decide right now? One of the things that excited me most about the script was the theme. The theme is loving the other. I think that's what our world needs. I think our world really needs to heal. I think it'll challenge people's notions of the need to be perfect to be a Christian. I want audiences to be encouraged. If they leave the theater feeling encouraged and inspired, then we've done our job. Our country and the world is prime for another revival. I am praying that this movie will bring hope to a generation. I think you're gonna see something on the screen you've not seen before. This story changed our nation and in many ways changed the world. You feel swept up into this movement. If a Jesus revolution happened before, it can happen again. Why can't the next Jesus revolution begin right now? I know that if God can heal me, he can heal anyone. If you look a little deeper, if you look with love, you'll see an entire generation searching for all the right things, just in all the wrong places. We can only walk through doors open to us. In your church, that's a door that's shut. So I ask you, Pastor, what would it take for you to be desperate? Seems the movement's everywhere. It's spreading like wildfire. Let's see what God has in mind. The Jesus Revolution movie that I talked about in December and gave out tickets for in the Christmas questions drawing will be released this coming Friday. The movie's based on a true story, and here's what it's about from the website JesusRevolution.movie. Here it is. In the 1970s, young Greg Laurie, played by Joel Courtney, is searching for all the right things in all the wrong places, until he meets Lonnie Frisbee, played by Jonathan Rumi, who is also Jesus in The Chosen, who is a charismatic hippie street preacher. Together with Pastor Chuck Smith, played by Kelsey Grammer, they open the doors of Smith's languishing church to an unexpected revival of radical and newfound love, leading to what Time magazine dubbed a Jesus revolution. Well, the lovely lady Leanne and I were invited to see a very early screening of the movie last August. Man, what an experience. You see, Chuck Smith's Calvary Chapel is here in Southern California, in Costa Mesa, which was not far from where I lived during this time. And watching the movie was like reliving my teen years. The movie really captures what was going on in the 70s, and I became a Christian during the Jesus Revolution. Chuck Smith was my pastor for a time back then, and Greg Laurie is my pastor now. The spiritual revival that took place during the Jesus Movement or the Jesus Revolution is still reverberating today, and I believe we need another spiritual revolution today. So, if you can, be sure to go see the Jesus Revolution movie this coming week. It hits theaters on February 24th, which is Friday. If you'd like to see some trailers for the movie, go to lifespringmedia.com slash jesusrevolution, of course, all one word. When you go to the movie, take somebody with you who is not yet a believer, because the gospel will be presented in a very good way. And, by the way, this is not your typical cheesy Christian movie. This truly is a very well-made movie. Now, I told you at the beginning of the show I was going to have a giveaway. I've got 
three copies of the Jesus Revolution book that I want to give away to three LifeSpring family members. It's written by Greg Laurie and Ellen Vaughn, and the book tells the story of how God transformed an unlikely generation and how He can do it today. If you'd like a copy of the book, send an email to me or a boostogram, and in the subject line of your email or in your boostogram, say, I want a Jesus Revolution. I'm going to draw three names a week from today, February 25th, at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, and I'll announce the winners on Sunday the 26th. If you want the book, send an email to steve at lifespringmedia.com or send me a boostergram. In the subject line of the email, say, I want a Jesus revolution, and in your boostergram, say the same thing, I want a Jesus revolution. Do it now while you're thinking about it. And by the way, just in case you're wondering, this is not a paid promo for the movie or the book. My only connection to the movie is that Greg Laurie is my pastor, and the lovely Lady Leanne and I support Harvest Ministries, the church that Greg pastors. The movie touched me deeply, I believe in its mission, and I think you'll enjoy it. If nothing else, see it to get a glimpse of my background, some of what made me who I am, because for me, watching that movie was very much like watching my own life. Thanks to the team, Sister Denise, Michael Hayner, Scott Snyder, Jason Paschal, and Brittany. Today's show art is by Scott Snyder. Thank you, Scott, and thank you for being with me today. I do enjoy our time together. And remember, we're going to have a time of prayer together tomorrow, so go to prayer.lifespringmedia.com and let me know your prayer requests or your praises. Until then, my name is Steve Webb. May God bless you richly. Bye. The LifeSpring Media family of programs are made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. Thank you. And now, it is time for Le Boost.